Okay, ladies and gents, I think we're going to get this thing going. Um, it is super fun to see you all. Thank you for coming down. Um, this is going to be the home of the Think seminars throughout the week. Uh, my name is Matt, Matt Fell. This is Amiola. Hello, guys. Um, and uh, we're going to be the hosts here throughout the week. So we're going to be here every week for these sem- every day for these seminars. Um, come back. We've got a great lineup throughout the week. It starts a little bit, bit on the downer. It's me speaking today. It gets better from there. Very unfortunate, um, guys. I'm sorry, Came guys. to the wrong one. Um, so tomorrow, we've got a guy called Ben Virgo coming. What can you tell us about Ben Virgo, Amiola? He's great. He's great. <laughs> he's, he's like from new ground. Yeah. I think so. Uh, and what does he do for a job? Oh, he... Yeah, he took us on a tour like around London and he showed us like the place where different like historical Christians made a big impact in the world, a big change in the world. And it's it's really amazing to see the way Christians has like helped healthcare and government in the best ways. So that's that's what he does and he's amazing and really enthusiastic, so that's great. Super enthusiastic, great storyteller. He's gonna be talking about how truth can change the world. So uh, it's cracking, going to be cracking seminar tomorrow. And then uh, we've got a lady called Claire Williams coming on, hang on, Thursday. There we go. Um, and she's going to be talking about how it's okay to ask the hard questions. She goes around universities, um, letting people fire their toughest questions about Christianity. Uh, and she's just got a lot of wisdom. Uh, so it'll be, it's a real treat that she's going to come and uh, join us. Uh, and then who are we got on Friday? Catherine Brown. And what's she speaking on? Oh, social media. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've got Catherine Brown coming, speaking on social media. She has, had, she has a very different outlook that, uh, than I've seen from a lot of Christians. She's really interesting, and she'll give a great talk. Um, she's been through a lot, and she knows a lot, and it would be great to come and just hear her speak. She'll be amazing. Yeah, she's brilliant. So it's a great lineup. Um, let me tell you a few things about Amiola here. So Amiola's from uh, Crown Church Hillingen. Hillingen? There Woo! we go. We've got yeah. some, some fans in the room. Um, Amiola, you are, I think you're 19. Yes, I am. Yeah? yeah? How many new days have you been at over the years? This is my seventh, I think. Seven new days. She's Seven a vet. Yeah. Um, Amiola has just finished a year called the ID year, which is advertised over here, which I run. It's a year where you serve a church. Um, you give your time to volunteering in ministry, and you get teaching over the year. And I've loved teaching Amiola uh, because she ha- asks really good questions. Um, and I thought she'd be a great person to host this seminar stream with me. Um, last I checked in with Amiola, she's not sure what she's going to do next. She might go to university and study philosophy, or she might stay at her church, serve with the youth, and get a degree in youth work. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So... Uh, if you come back for the, like, the next few days and get to know Amiola, at the end of the week, because she's still a bit undecided on this, we're just going to cast a vote as to what she should do. And I think you guys here at New Day should decide it for her. Yeah? Is that okay? Is that going to work? That sounds perfect. I don't have to make the decision then. Fun times. So, sounds good to me. I just thought that would serve her. What can you tell these guys about me? He's really annoying. No. Thanks. He's that's, a really good. Kind. He's a really good teacher and a really good talker. So it'll be. It'll, you'll enjoy it. Like you won't get bored. Um, he's. Just, I didn't set you up for that, but that's very kind. Thank you. <laughs> um, he's doing his PhD. Yeah. yeah. Um, in the, in theology. Yeah. Um, which is really interesting and really difficult. Um, he teach. He taught me at ID, and he was really really good. Uh, 
he is his wife is pregnant with their fourth kid, which is amazing. Mayhem. Celebration. Mayhem is what it is. It happened while he was on sabbatical. <laughs> that's too much information. <laughs> yeah, that's there you go. Matt cool. Okay. Um, I think we should get into uh, our first seminar. Mystery isn't a dirty word. Um, this is how it's going to go. Um, I'm going to kind of do a bit of teaching, share a bit of story from my life. I'm going to open the Bible together. But there's going to be a few opportunities where I want to get you guys talking amongst yourselves as well. Um, so why don't you turn around and find somebody that you're going to be chatting to when you, know, when you have a chance to chew on some stuff. And um, let me give you this question to chew over. So the seminar's called... Mystery isn't a dirty word. And the reason um, we titled it that, or the reason I titled it that, is I became a Christian when I was 20. I was at university. I was in my third year. Um, and I've got no Christian background behind me. In my family, there's like all different kinds of religions. None of them are Christian. Um, and I always thought like becoming a Christian would mean throwing my brain out of the window. Um, I, I wasn't particularly great like, at studying, but I liked kind of ideas and thinking. I, I was quite creative. I liked kind of kind of being edgy and creative and I thought becoming a Christian would be boring uh, mindless and you wouldn't get to ask any questions and then Jesus got hold of me just revealed his glory his goodness um, and it was almost like he got me by the scruff of the neck and I, I couldn't get away from just his goodness and his love but I had all sorts of questions so I landed in church and I would just fire my questions at people and I got really wonderful, thoughtful answers a lot of the time. But every now and again, I'd stumble across this answer. I, was, I don't know, Matt. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. And I used to feel a bit annoyed when people would say those words. It's a mystery. I, I felt like I was being fobbed off. Do you get what I mean? Like, like it was kind of a get out for somebody who, who couldn't think that question through. Or maybe the question was even too hard and people didn't have answers for it. So I wonder if you've come to this seminar because you've had that situation where you've asked the question and someone said to you, it's a mystery, and you felt a bit palmed off. So turn to the people around you, have a little chat for a second. Has anybody given you that line and you felt a bit, dis bit disappointed? Has anybody ever said to you, it's a mystery, and you were a bit like, meh? And if so, what, what was your question behind it? Why did they say that to you? Is that clear? Does that make sense as a question? Cool. Give you a couple of minutes. Chat amongst yourselves. Um, okay, so if, uh, if that was your experience, you asked a question, someone came back to you and said, it's a mystery, just, uh, and you're just happy to share that very quickly, stick your hands up. Oh, okay. I know you. You're like a good friend. Let's go over here. Yes, young man. Shout nice and loud for me so I can hear. Yeah, great. Why does science say one thing and the Bible say something else and somebody responded back, it's a mystery, and you were like, I feel a bit shortchanged by that. Fair enough. Cool. Great question you're asking there. Anybody else? If God knows everything, what was the point of creating if he knows how it's all going to pan out? And then there's a bunch of other questions which are going to follow on from that, aren't there, about evil and all that good stuff. Yeah, great question to ask. I can understand why your parents said that it's a mystery to that one. Um, yes, down here. You like listen about heaven and hell and stuff, and then, but then I get really confused. I'm like, if God loves everyone and knows everyone, 
then how come some people just get sent to like hell? Like you read about revelations and stuff and it's awful stuff. And it's like, but then surely if there's a God who loves everyone and knows everyone, why can't Jesus just come down and like, and like he do loads of miracles and then everyone will believe? It's like, why can't that happen? Great question. So, you know, God... The Bible says God loves everybody, but the Bible also quite starkly says that there's people, you know, who end up separated from God's love. And how is that the case? Like, why? That's a great question. That's a real personal one for me because, like I said, my family, no one in my family knows the Lord yet. My mum died four or five years ago, you know, and that's a big question for me. You know, rings on me. Great. You guys are asking great questions. And, you know... Um, Let's get into it. I want to say to you today that um, mystery isn't a dirty word. That actually, um, rather than shutting down the conversation, mystery for the believer is the start of the conversation. Because ultimately, our God is mystery. He's beyond anything else we can understand. But God is a mystery that when we, when we kind of come into his presence, when we encounter this mystery, it thrills us and transforms us into loving and wise people. Mystery isn't turning our brains off. It's turning our brains and our hearts on. And we become transformed. And actually, encountering the mystery of God enables us to navigate the complexities of life better. Learning to live with mystery is going to thrill your heart before God and help you be more loving to people around you. So I'm going to get into all of that good stuff. Um, like I said, I became a Christian at university, uh, worried that it would mean throwing my brains out of the window. Actually, I don't think I was using my brains all that well in the first place because I, I basically almost failed my degree. Um, I'm dyslexic. I found that out later in life. But becoming a Christian... And, and just trying to wrestle with, you know, the questions that I had about the Bible, but just being so drawn by the love of Jesus, actually started turning my brain on. And um, however many years later, I think I've been a Christian 15 years now, um, uh, I did a master's degree, I did, did another master's degree, my wife says no more, uh, and now I'm doing my PhD, um, doing that in Cambridge and my, my PhD is on theology and science and thinking about questions about evolution and what it is to be human and the soul. I never would have thought I'd end up doing that stuff. I read a lot of science papers these days. I, know, I mean, if you went back and told my science teachers at school, they would fall off their chairs laughing about that. Um, but that's just the, the grace and the humor of God. Um, and you know, as I've been a Christian for those 15 years, as I have been in wonderful churches that embody the wisdom of God. As I've read theologians, men and women throughout the centuries who have asked the hard questions and sat with them, I've learned that actually the Christian tradition has so much wisdom, so much depth, that it doesn't you know, dodge the difficult questions, but it really sits with them and, and, and finds that Jesus is the way, the, the truth, and the life. And so my prayer for you guys, New Day, is that you would find that too. There's a quote um, by a guy called C.S. Lewis. You might have heard it before. C.S. Lewis, if you've never heard of him, he was an author, uh, an academic during the last century. 
Um, he was actually, he was in Oxford, so a bit of a rough place, but someone's got to go there. And um, he was an atheist and he became a Christian. Uh, he was actually friends with uh, Tolkien, the guy who wrote Lord of the Rings, if you ever read those books or seen those films. And Tolkien, uh, you know, became friends of Lewis and over time persuaded him of Christianity. And then eventually Lewis had this experience of Jesus and that, that God uh, is the one who fills our hearts with joy. And then Lewis wrote lots about Christianity, he wrote some wonderful books, a book called Mere Christianity, really worth reading. Like nearly 100 years on, it's still just stonking articulation of Christianity. And um, Lewis said this, he said, I believe in Christianity like I believe in the sun. Not only do I see it there in the sky, but because I see everything else by its light. Believe in Christianity like I believe in the sun, not only because I see it there in the sky, but because I see everything else in its light. Knowing Jesus shines a light on every area of life. It makes the world come alive with color and depth. It also kind of highlights the shadows. Being a Christian is a funny old thing because it gives you a bunch of answers to questions and then it gives you a whole new set of questions. You know, so the lady down at the front here asked the question, like, if God is loving, you know, why is it that people don't know him and end up lost and in all sorts of tricky situations? That's a big old question, isn't it? That's going to keep you up at night. And you're like, thanks, Jesus. I didn't have that question a few months before, but now I do. Because I've come to know a God who is good and loving, almost questions about evil and suffering and hard things become sharper. Being a Christian is intense. Because everything is up for grabs. Everything takes on a new light when you know Jesus. Okay, so you might be sat here today and you might be thinking, okay, Matt, that's all well and good for you, Mr. PhD. It's all well and good for C.S. Lewis, this whole, you know, knowing Jesus makes your mind come alive. But you may know people, either kind of from your life experience or, or from the media, who profess to be Christians, but they don't look like they've come alive, you know, um, to mystery and truth. You may know Christians, it looks like actually their faith just shuts the conversation down. That it, it, it just gives easy answers to things. That it's not interested in the world, uh, but withdraws from it. You know, I've, I've met people like that. And I think, you know, we see lots of them on the media. Um, why is it that, that faith in God causes some people to come alive with wisdom, while others seem to just close on in on themselves? Well, I want to just point you to a, an idea that runs throughout the Bible that I think kind of speaks into this. And the, the idea is idolatry. It's going to sound heavy at first, but it, it's actually it's a really profound thought. Um, it's there throughout scripture, particularly there in the Old Testament. It's a big theme. Um, does, anybody know, does anybody want to give a working definition? Like, what's idolatry? Someone want to shout out? It's a bit of a tough question for New Day on day one, two. Yes, young man. The worship of idols. Great shout. Let's move it along a step further. What's an idol? Do you know? Okay, something you adore more than God. That's a really good definition. So in the ancient world, in the world that the Bible was written in, 
Um, there were lots of different religions, and those religions would worship idols. They would worship gods who they constructed images of. And this was a really important part of their worship, because uh, you can't worship something you don't know. So they would make a, a, an image of the god their best representation that they could of what their god was like. And in the ancient world, there was lots of gods. There was gods of the sunshine, god of rivers, god of going to the toilet. And people would worship these different gods and they would make idols, images, their best representations of what those gods were like. But the Bible uh, comes along and it says, whenever we try to do that, whenever human beings try to decide what God is like and represent God, we run into difficulty because we have a problem. We can't help but talk and think about ourselves. We can't help but talk and think about ourselves. We end up trying to make a God that we can understand and manipulate. And that might make sense at first. You're going to get into this whole religion thing. You need to understand you know, what it's all about. And it's got to do you some good, hasn't it? You know, Your God's got to do something for you. So you worship the sun god because you're a farmer and you want the sunshine to get onto your crops and make them grow. You worship the sea gods because you're a fisherman. You're going to go out every day and you don't want to get drowned. Um, So you worship that god that you can kind of understand and you want that god to do something for you. But like I said, we have this problem. We can't help but think and talk about ourselves. And so we make gods in our image or gods who are for us. And rather than than that religion tapping us into the deep mysteries of the world, getting us out of our little neighbourhoods and into the wonder of the world we find around us, we end up just having a religion which is all about us. It's all about me. And so we end up shutting our eyes and our ears to the world around us because we've just got me and my God. It's just me and my God. Um, What can God do for me? We turn in on ourselves and this is what's going on when the bible talks about idolatry you read like some of the old testament prophets like isaiah he says these people make idols and these idols make them go dumb and deaf like they can't hear you know the world around them they can't see it they can't think straight they just turn in on themselves and you know what it's not just people you know, worshipping various gods in temples and far-off lands who do this. Again and again in the Bible, it's God's very own people, the people that he's kind of knocked on their door and woken them up, that end up practising idolatry. I am as guilty of it as anyone else. Trying to worship a God, you know, who really is just a big version of me in the sky who's there to look after me. You know, a Father Christmas character in the sky who's just going to, you know, I can send my my requests off to um, and he's going to take care of me and my interests, you know. And of course, the God we meet in the Bible, the God and Father of Jesus Christ loves us and cares about us. He cares about our needs. Scripture says, cast all your anxieties onto him because he cares about you. But he's also bigger than us. He's bigger than me. He's not just about me and my needs and my wishes. And if I make him into that kind of God, I've made him into an idol. But we were never made to worship an idol. We were made to worship the living God. 
the God who is genuinely and beautifully mysterious, above and beyond anything else we can know in this life. We were made for that God. And as we experience the mystery of God, we're called to ever go deeper, to ever go deeper into learning who he is, to be brought out of ourselves and our own self-interest, to know him, to wander before him, but also to know the world that he's made and the people in it and to care for them and be interested, to be interested in this world that God made. Somebody asked the question earlier on, if God knows everything, why did he make the world? And I think maybe a part Maybe somewhere to start with that question would be because he wanted to share. God knew all things. God knows how good a burger tastes. He knows that feeling when you've swam in the cold sea and you come out into the sunshine. He knows that feeling when you, you and your team have just scored a corker of a goal. And he wanted to share that. I have somewhere to start with that question. So mystery isn't a dirty word. Let me give you a couple of examples to explain why I think mystery is a good thing. Um, anybody ever read or seen a Sherlock Holmes story? Yeah? Um, the BBC did, a, did us a favour, didn't they, with the, the Benedict Cumberbatch, I can't even say his name, um, blah, 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 um, version of Sherlock, great series, went off the boil later on, if I'm totally honest, but the first two series, quality Think about Sherlock Holmes. He's there, he's in, his, um, he's in his study and he's bored, so he's just winding Watson up, playing his violin, just feeling a bit mopey. And then a case comes his way and there's a mystery. And what happens? He comes alive, doesn't he? The game is on, Watson. There's something to occupy his mind and to get him going. When the Bible talks about mystery, when Christians talk about mystery, that's what we should be talking about. Not something which is like, oh, I've got to clock out here, check out, because I can't think about this. No, the game is on. There is something for us to press into and learn about here and think. And in doing so, we're going to have an adventure and we're going to be changed by it. Think about falling in love. If any of you have had that experience, that kind of romance, the first kind of moments of it, you see somebody, you... No, there's something about this person that you're drawn to, that you're attracted to, but at the same time, they're a mystery. You don't know everything about them, but you want to know more about them. You want to spend time with them. You want to see who this person is, how they interact with other people, how they go about the world, what you know, gets them out of bed in the morning, what fires them up. Um, and that, that never actually goes. Me and my wife just celebrated 10 years of uh, marriage. Can I get a... Thank you very much. To be honest, she needs the, the applause. She's over there by the door. Um, she's shaking her head like, don't point to me. Don't point to me. Um, you know, 10 years into marriage, my wife is still a mystery uh, to me. Like in a, in a good way. Like I'm still wanting to get to know her more. Um, mystery in the Bible is like that. It's something which just draws us out of ourselves and it's it, exciting and it transforms us. Um, so in the Bible itself, the word mystery it crops up. It's there in the Old Testament. It's there in the New Testament. It's probably there more in the New Testament, actually. And, and the vibe with the word mystery in Scripture is this. There was something that was hidden and unknown, completely above our pay grade. And yet God in his kindness makes it known. He reveals it to us. And so a mystery is something that was hidden, 
now revealed, but it's still got that kind of, it's got a bit of extra to it. Because even though it's like something which has been revealed to us, we still don't fully get our heads around it, pin it down and know it. In the same way that, you know, you can become an expert at like, I don't know, Pokemon or car mechanics or whatever it is that is your hobby, the thing that you're an expert at. The, the, the mysteries of God are revealed, but they're always that bit extra. There's always more to know. And God himself is a mystery. Um, that's who he is in his very core. So I want us to think about that. I want us to kind of just look at a passage of scripture, which is going to ground some of the stuff I just talked about, um, and just help us wonder at the mystery of who God is and get some of the dynamics on that. So... If you have a Bible, which I hope you do, either on your phone or paper, turn to Exodus chapter 3. We're just going to look at the first 16 verses, and uh, Amiola here is going to read it for us all. Yeah, that's fine. The burning bush. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire outside the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to remember throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. Awesome. Thank you, Amiola. Cool. Fun fact about this chapter. This is the most referenced passage of the Bible by the rest of the Bible. The most referenced passage of the Bible by the rest of the Bible, which means that this chapter is key to understanding everything else. 
And to be honest, I don't think I knew that for a very long time. It was some Jewish friends of mine who pointed it out to me, actually. So much in this rich chapter to get our heads around. We start off with Moses. Um, Tell me some things about Moses. He had a bit of an interesting childhood. Who's seen the film The Prince of Egypt? Classic. It's pretty traumatic, though, isn't it? What happens at the very beginning of Moses' life? Somebody shout it out. He's thrown into the river, which is a rough start for any baby, isn't it? And like, it's not, it's not there in, the, in Exodus, but in the Prince of Egypt, there's crocodiles left, right, and center. It's so intense. As a father, I'm like, it's a higher anxiety level. Anyway, so Moses has seen some stuff. Um, he was born during a genocide. You know, he was cast out into the river as an infant. He's been brought up with this kind of mixed identities, part Hebrew, part Egyptian, taught Egyptian culture. Um, he's seen the suffering of the Hebrew people in slavery. Um, he's tried to do something about it. So earlier in the story, Moses sees an Egyptian beating on an on a Israelite, and he tries to intervene, and he ends up killing the Egyptian. Moses tried to make things better, ended up making things worse. He tried to stop violence. He ended up participating in violence. And so he's had to flee. He's in exile. He's living out in the wilderness. And so this man's got some questions. He's probably got some big philosophical questions, but he's got some real gritty political questions about life. He's lost He's without answers, and he's probably become a bit cynical. And there, in that place, God meets with him. God sets a bush on fire, but the bush doesn't burn. And we could, we could spend a lot of time meditating on this thought. The, the bush is on fire, the fire of God's holiness, his presence is there, but he doesn't destroy the bush. He doesn't burn it up. The bush stays healthy and flourishing. And Moses sees this and he's like, what? And so he goes over. God uses a mystery to wake Moses up. Now, it might have been some crazy, wacky thing like a burning bush for you. It might just be one of the many mysteries in life. Like, why is there something rather than nothing? Why is this universe here? It could very well have been otherwise. And yet here we are on green planet Earth, living our best New Day lives, drinking our milkshakes. Why is this all here? Why is there so much order and beauty in the world? Why is it that my scientist friends can study the world and say it's intelligible? You can use your intelligence to understand planets, cows, subatomic particles. Like, we can look at the world. We can do poetry. We can do art. We fall in love. We can do wonderful acts of kindness. Why is that all there? Just the mystery of it. Do you ever see it? Do you ever just kind of wake up and think, man alive, what's going on here? It's not always very easy. Sometimes you have to remove a few distractions. But sometimes the mystery just wakes us up and God uses mystery here to wake Moses up and he says to him take off your sandals what does that mean what does that represent I think when God says take off your sandals Moses he's saying mate you don't just walk on in here like anywhere else 
You don't just walk on in here like anywhere else. This is a different environment. This is a different moment. God wants Moses' attention. God wants Moses' attention. And attention is a really important thing. Because we kind of just go through life and it kind of comes at us. And that's fine because, you you know, we have to go about our day to day. But there's moments in life which call for us to really give our attention. To think, to be present, to be mindful. To not just be kind of carried along by the buzz, but to attend to something or someone. God wants your attention. He says to Moses, take off your sandals. But he'd say something different to us today, I'm sure. Put down your phone. Cancel your Netflix subscription. Stop running after the crowd. Get some time with me by yourself. Hold up. I think it might be time for a deep and meaningful question. Turn to the person next to you. And just very quickly, I'm going to give you two minutes of this. What, what do you think God might say to you? So that you can attend to mystery. What do you need to put down? What's your sandals? What do you need to take off? Turn to the person next to you. Have a chat for a second. Okay. I wonder if I can just get a couple of one-word answers from the room. What might I need you to put down? Just for a little while. What might it be you need to put down? Unhelpful relationships. Yeah, that could be a big thing. That's a hard thing to put down. Yes. Listening to music. Man, I love music. I don't really like Christian music. But, <laughs> yes. But sometimes, but music really affects me. And I listen to what my wife calls sad white man music. <laughs> sometimes I just have to stop it. And yeah, that's great. That's a great show. Anybody else? Yes. Living for others. Yeah, just continually running after what other people need and just to have some time just to focus on the important stuff, on the mystery. Yeah, great. Good stuff. Um, Way back when I was a student, um, it was like before we had Wi-Fi. I know, crazy, huh? Um, And so you had like a modem in the back of your like PC. And my PC was like massive. It was like as big as you. And... um, I, I, I'm not very technical, but one day I had to get a um, screwdriver, open that bad boy up and pull the modem out and went without the internet for a good six months or so. Just needed to put, put my sandals off. So God says to Moses, wake up. Mystery. There's more. There's going to be answers to your questions. But you've got to attend. You've got to give some attention. You've got to put some things away. Be still and know that I am God, Scripture says elsewhere. And at first, God says, Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So at first, Moses says, uh, God says to Moses, I'm, I'm the God that your father talked about. Moses knew of this God. But I think until this moment, he knew of God as an idea. The God of my father. The God of my people. And it's time for Moses to know him for himself. It's time for Moses not to just know an idea, but to experience the living God who is mystery. And I just thought as I was preparing this, whether there might be some people in the room here today, and you know God as your parents, God. 
And this new day, he wants to reveal himself as the living God to you. Not to your family, not to the person next to you, but to you. Is God just an idea for you, or do you know God? That's not like a pressure question. If, if you feel like, actually, God's the God of my parents, then maybe there's an invitation. He's knocking at the door today. And there's an opportunity. This, this week, he wants to meet with you like he met with Moses. God goes on and he says, I know my people's suffering. And I think that is one of the most precious verses in all of scripture. Moses' people are enslaved under a tyrant who is killing their children. And Moses has got questions. And God says, I know. You might have questions. There might be suffering going on. Around you, people you love. Might not be people you know. It might just be that you've got a big heart for the world and just the suffering going on out there. Wars. Corruption. Injustice. Racism. Bigotry. Those things just move your heart. And God says, I know my people's suffering. Interestingly, he doesn't give Moses answers theoretical answers in this in this chapter he doesn't say hey let me explain why this is going on god's answer is i know and i've come down i've come to do something about it the answer isn't theoretical it's practical god comes down he says moses i'm going to use you i'm going to work through you i'm going to send you back and you're going to speak truth to power you're going to go and challenge pharaoh And I'm going to speak through you. Then what happens is something really interesting. Moses says, okay, cool. I'm going to go and I'm going to tell the Israelite people, you're about to do something. What's your name, God? Who do I say you are? I mean, it needs a bit of explaining why Moses would do this. Because in the ancient world, a name tells you a lot about the person. My name's Matthew. Doesn't tell you all that much about me. But in in Hebrew culture, a name tells you something about that person's character and their destiny. So Moses wants to know, what's your name, God? But also in the ancient world, there were loads of gods. Um, And there was this kind of belief, particularly in Egyptian culture, that if you knew the name of a god, you had kind of power over them. There's a chap here called Joshua. And I suppose like in a a busy room, if I go, Josh, he's going to turn around. Particularly, I know his last name, I'm not going to say it. I say his last name and I've got his attention. People used to think if you knew the name of God, you kind of had God's attention. You could kind of cut through the noise. And there was a kind of sense in which you had a bit of power and influence over God. So Moses says, what's your name? And God replies with a three-stage answer. And this is going to sound complicated, but it's wild. So just follow it. First, what does God say? He says, I am who I am. Think about when you get to meet somebody. I might say, hey, this is my friend Amiola. She's a student. Or I might say, this is my buddy Frank. He's an electrician. Or in the ancient world, if you were talking about God, you'd say, hey, this is Ra, and he's the God of the sun. You know, we, we introduce people by using some categories to make sense of them, to fit them into a box. God says... I am who I am. 
It's a bit of a like hands off to Moses. What God's saying is that he is completely independent. He's not the God of the sun, the God of the water, the God of just one people. He's beyond all that. He defines himself. God defines himself. This is what theologians uh, call God's aseity. Complicated Latin word there, but it just means God's from selfness. Sounds complicated, but let me just unpack it. What this means is that God is unlike anything else in creation. He's unlike you and me. Because you and I depend upon other stuff to be what we are. You depend upon your mum and dad for your life and existence. You depend upon air to breathe, food to keep going. Your youth leader to make sure you don't get into too much trouble. Um, Your existence and your qualities are like shaped by other things. But that's not so with God. No one created God. Some people will ask the question, who made God? Well, the whole point of this God is that nobody made God. God just is. Full of life, full of goodness. Nothing can take his life away from him. Nothing can stop him. Uh, You know, you are dependent upon your parents being here, but you might not have been. Maybe if your dad had eaten too too much garlic that evening, you might not have been. That's not true of God. God could never have not been. God just is. And that means God is not like anything else we can ever encounter in all of creation. But also, your character, your qualities, your skills, they're shaped by other things, external influences. Back in the day, I was a good rugby player. I was a good rugby player because a coach taught me. Nobody teaches this God. And that's really good news. Because this God is good. But nobody taught God to be good. God is good. He's the definition of goodness. Everything that we experience as good in this world is just a reflection of the goodness that he just is. He's good. He's love. Nobody taught God how to love. Nobody, you know, like, I didn't really know how to love. And then I met my wife and we got married And me learning how to love her like Christ loves the church has taught me what love is. And so I feel like I do an okay job now by the grace of God. God never had to learn to love. He just is love. And that means he can be trusted and relied upon. Learn to meditate on that. Learn to give your attention to that. That God is unlike anything else. That he is perfect. He is fullness of goodness and love and justice. The Bible says there's no shadow in God. There's no kind of like hidden dark spot. There's no change in God. Because he can't become any better than he already is. Get your head around that. It will do you good. So. Moses asks for a name, God reveals it, that's the first stage and it underpins everything else. That God is unlike anything else, he's perfect, independent, 
And then he says to Moses, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. So this God who is mystery says to Moses, I am and I'm with you. This one who is mystery is with us. He comes to be with us in our troubles. This is the God of the Bible. He's high and holy, but he's also close and personable. He fills all things, and yet he is closer to you than you are to yourself. And he's good, and he loves you. Any time, any place, God is with us. And he's the God of the Exodus, the God who comes, who knows his people's suffering, and he comes to bring freedom. Do you know him? He's the same God, the very God who makes himself known in Jesus Christ. The same God of the Exodus is the God who comes down at Christmas to make him known to us. And this is mystery beyond mystery that Jesus of Nazareth, a man, a person, a human being like you and me, says, if you've seen me, you've seen what the Father is like. You've seen what God is like. Because he's the God who comes to be with us, ultimately in Jesus. This is the height and the depth of the love of God. He's high and holy and yet close and loving. And then finally, God gives Moses a third name. Now, this is a bit tricky in your Bibles. So God gives Moses a name in the Hebrew language that we don't really know how to translate. Our best attempt is the name Yahweh. You know that song, Yahweh, Yahweh. We, you know that's that's what this is. That's getting at. God gives a name in Hebrew, which it's it's very complicated to translate. And in fact, the Jewish people today reading the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, they don't say the name. They treat it as so holy they just don't say it. And what they do is instead of reading the name, they put the word Lord there. So if you ever read through your Bible and you find the word Lord in capital letters, what you're seeing there is the name that God reveals to Moses. But to be kind of to honor the mystery of that, we translate it as Lord in capital letters. So whenever you find that word, what's being spoken of there is the God who is mystery, the creator of all things, high and holy and yet coming to be with his people. And this is amazing. The God who is mystery wants you to know him and to speak his name and to call upon him he wants to enter into relationship with you and in the new testament who gets called the lord it's the sunday school question jesus So when the New Testament calls Jesus Lord, the name above every name, Philippians 2 says, it's saying that Jesus is the God who revealed himself to Moses. Come down. God wants you to know him by name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The burning bush here points to Jesus, where the mystery of God makes himself known to us. And all our other mysteries Get spoken into by Jesus. Not with easy answers, not with quick explanation of things, but with hope. Jesus comes to be the way, the truth, and the life. And so some of our questions that we were asking earlier on, 
it might be difficult to find like a kind of rational, no, not rational, that's not the right word, like a kind of easy, clear-cut answer to why there's evil in the world, why people we know and love don't respond to the love of God. Why God allowed me to go through that thing? Why is there injustice in the world? But these are big things, aren't they? These are big topics. And it would be a bit weird if God just dropped an Ikea manual from the sky, giving us quick, easy you know, instructions how to make sense of that stuff. God does something better. He gives us himself, with us, close to us, that holy mystery. The New Testament, there's a letter called uh, the letter to the Colossians. And Paul, who wrote it, says this. He says he's, he's talking about the good news that is the mystery that was hidden for ages, but is now revealed to the saints. That to them, God has chosen to make known among the nations of the world the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ Jesus in you, the hope of glory. In the face of all the mystery, God's answer is to draw near to you in Jesus Christ. Turn to him. Walk with him. Bring your questions to him. And he's going to take you deeper and deeper into mystery. It's not going to be easy answers, quick easy answers to stuff, because he's got something better for you than that. So very quickly, let me just... Let me just paint a picture of what that looks like practically. I've got five practical steps, things to take away. And the first one is that point about attention. Learn to give God your attention. Take your sandals off and be before him. That thing you discuss with the person next to you, whatever it was, go and do something about that. If it was on your phone, if it was on healthy relationships, if it was too much music, whatever it is, take some steps. Give God your attention. And you know what? Don't just learn to give God your attention. I mean, that's first call. But learn to give attention to people, to the world around you, to beauty, to nature, to goodness. Because it's all going to do you good and stir your heart and praise for God. So first thing was attention. The second thing was pray. Learn to pray in a way that's just being before your Father in heaven. Not just reeling off your shopping list of prayers, but learn to be still before him. Three, ask questions. Don't stop asking questions, New Day. You started off, you shared some of your questions. They were great questions. Don't stop. And sometimes asking questions means you're a pain in the backside. I got three young kids, they're always asking me why this, why that. My youngest every night, Daddy, why do I have to go to sleep? It's a pain, I admit. And sometimes your questions are going to be a pain for other people because their lives are busy and you're going to have to be, have grace for them if they don't have time to answer your questions. But keep asking them nonetheless. If you look through the Bible, it is full of people asking questions. Hard questions. The Psalms again and again. Why, oh God? Why, oh why have you done this? Why is this going on? Why is there evil and oppression over there? What's going on? Read the book of Job. That man's got a lot of questions. He's been through some stuff. God's not afraid of your questions. 
He's not incensed by you asking hard questions. If you ask with a, a posture of humility and genuinely wanting answers and trusting him, he's going to take you into some deep waters and it's going to be a real adventure. Ask questions. Four. In the book of Proverbs, it says this, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Life's a complex thing. And we saw Moses had questions and God didn't give him quick answers. God came and gave him his presence. When people around you are going through some stuff, refrain from giving them easy answers to things. Give them your attention. Give them your presence. Love them like Jesus loves you. Get involved in their stuff. Come and walk alongside them like our God comes to walk alongside us. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. And then finally, study. Study. Get into a church where they do good teaching. I'm sure your churches do. Listen to sermons. Soak up every word. Go and ask questions of the people who teach. Whether that's in youth, whether that's, you know, on a Sunday morning, ask questions. Listen to some good podcasts. There's some great Christian podcasts out there with brilliant teaching. Go find them out. Ask the leaders in your church who they would recommend. Read some books. We've got a cracking bookshop here. Go grab some books. I've got a few over here. Yeah, I want to do that. Just very quickly, I want to give you Matt Fell's recommendation for this seminar series. Uh, Rebecca McLaughlin, um, Confronting Christianity, asks 12 hard questions about Christianity, doesn't dodge the difficult stuff, really, really good, very accessible. I have to recommend this one, More Truth by Christy Mayer. Christy is a philosopher. Uh, if you're interested in, like, can we know the truth, this is a really, really good book. Fun fact, Christy and I went to school together and I used to bully her for being a Christian. We then ended up working for a same Christian organisation together. She hadn't seen me for 10 years. She burst into tears when she saw me. I'm still not sure if that's because of trauma or like excitement. <laughs> Global Humility by Andrew McCulloch. This is a stonking book. There is so much wisdom from around the world. Christianity is not just a Western religion. Um, and our brothers and sisters around the world have got wisdom to speak. So this is a really good book, just helping you think through, you know, global perspectives and questions. Second ago, I talked about prayer and attention. This book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, um, on the bookshop. Really beautiful book about just having a right posture um, before God and just going deeper into prayer. And then finally, uh, Christopher Watkins' uh, Biblical Critical Theory. I've not read all of this yet. I have a copy of it at home that I've dipped in and out of. But this is going to ask a lot of tough questions, engage with uh, questions about sexuality, about um, racism, about kind of institutional oppression. This book's a really, really helpful guide to some of those things. But it's chunky. Also very good for self-defense. <laughs> Final thing to study is there are great courses out there. I just happen to lead one of them, but it's not the only one out there. Take time to get into the deep truths of the Bible, um, to ask questions, to get around great teachers. Idea is one way of doing that. 
So anybody who's 18 plus willing to take a year to serve the church and be built up. But there's other great ones, the Unreached Network, who are over here. They've got brilliant stuff, particularly around cross-cultural mission. There's Bible colleges out there. There's short courses, all sorts of stuff. Study, apply yourself, grow. Give attention, learn to pray, ask questions. Quick to listen, slow to speak, study. You guys have been great. Can I just pray for you and then it's lunchtime? And if you want to stick around and ask any questions, I'm very happy to, to stick around for a bit. Come badger me, come badger Amiola. Almighty God, maker of heaven and earth and everything in it, you sustain all things. You fill all things of your goodness. You move the stars and the sun and you love us. You know your people. You know our suffering. You know our struggles. You know our sins. And you have come down to be with us again and again throughout history and ultimately in Jesus Christ. Coming to us who are lost to love us, to reveal the mystery of God. Wow, thank you that we can begin to know you and forevermore go deeper into the depths of your goodness and love. Thank you that we are known to you. That these guys are known to you and I pray for a revelation for each one of them. Just of who you are, the living God, that you know them and love them. Bless them throughout this week. Bless these seminars. May it all be for your fame and glory. And God's people said, Amen.